Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening and my contributors to the show. Executive producer, Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger. Senior editor, Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me. Binaural production engineer, Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great. And monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to everythingimaginable2020.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Tom Carey. And he has written some books on Roswell. He's written UFO Secrets, Inside Wright Patterson, Roswell, The Ultimate Cold Case, Witness to Roswell. And he has some other books coming out as well. And uh, I'm anxious to hear what he has to say. Thanks for coming on, Tom. Gary, it's great to be with you. <laughs> I apologize for that false start. <laughs> um, so so uh, let's recap. Like, like, what are you working on now? Oh, my goodness. What aren't I working on? Uh, I'm working on three things right at the moment. Uh, uh, I'm doing a... Uh, uh, I'm uh, consulting with the Travel Channel on a Roswell uh, mini-series, six, six parts. I'm consulting on that every day. And uh, we have two books that will be coming out. Uh, we have a, our, The current books that we have out right now, Gary, are uh, UFO Secrets Inside Wright Patterson, which came out in 2019. Uh, we had two books come out last year. The... Uh, Roswell, the ultimate cold case closed, which we thought it was the case was over at that time, but it's not. The case case is not closed, but that came out last year, and uh, we had a, a Roswell pictorial chrono, a chronological pictorial. It's a coffee table type of color pictures type book that came out last year. It's a it's the Roswell timeline. In pictures, it gives you the whole story from 1947 up until, well, 19, uh, 19 but 2020. So uh, we have those three out right now. We have two more coming. One will be out next, well, what's it? We're in April. It'll be out in June. It'll be out in June right. of this year. It's called, uh, it was a blast to put together. It's called Touched by Roswell. It's about the rich and famous people who have somewhere in their life crossed paths with the Roswell incident. And we have over a hundred names in our uh, list and uh, it's called Touched by Roswell uh, and it will be out in June. And uh, next year we already have the book finished. It'll be another book will be out next, next June in 2021. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're at, we're in 2021 yeah. now, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> It'll be out in 2022. It's our uh, 75th anniversary edition of Witness to Roswell, which was our very first book Don Schmidt and I wrote together 
uh, but with new chapters, new photos, and it's in honor of the 75th anniversary of the Roswell incident. It will be the 10th book, uh, Gary, that uh, Don Schmidt and I have written about the Roswell incident. Everyone we've written, I said, oh, well, that's the last one, but, <laughs> but it isn't. So we do know we're, we're covered up until June of next year uh, for books. <laughs> so you are a very busy man. Yes. Um, so how does a guy from Pennsylvania get interested in the Roswell case? That, that's a good question. Um, here, I'll tell you exactly how that went. Uh when, as a teenager, I was interested in UFOs, right? Just these, what are these things flying around in the sky up here that we can't seem to do anything about? There's, they call them flying saucers, flying discs, UFOs. So uh, I was, my favorite author was Donald E. Kehoe, who uh, in the 1940s and 1950s and early 1960s, he was sort of the Stanton Friedman yeah. of that time. Uh, trying to get government uh, uh, committees to look at the, Ro uh, Ro not Roswell, but uh, U the UFO phenomenon, trying to get uh, government committees to look at it. And he was an excellent writer. And so I read all of his books. Uh, I also read a book by a fellow named Edward Ruppelt, who was the former head of Project Blue Book mm -hmm. in the 1950s. Love that book. I said, well, the guy that was on the inside is not Don Donald Kehoe. I have to say, though, he would not go near uh, crash flying saucers or uh, biological, you know, alien entities. He would not go near that because he felt he's trying to get credibility for the subject. And he thought he thought yeah, there goes my phone. It never rings all day. But uh, uh, during the. Uh, 1950s, he thought it was a bridge too far. Mm -hmm. The crash saucers and the and the reports of alien beings. So he never went near it. But uh, neither did Edward Ruppelt, who was a you know he was an Air Force captain and uh, head of Project Blue Book. But he wrote an excellent book, pro UFO. And uh, so I'm trying to think if I've read any other books uh, at that after that. I know. By that time, I was going into college. I didn't have a lot of time. And then I went into the Air Force for four years. And I sort of wasn't reading about UFOs. Right. So uh, when I came out of the Air Force, this is 1976. No, wait a minute. Oh, my goodness. Uh, 19, I, I, forget when, I forget when I came out of the Air Force. I went in it. 63, 67. I came out in 1967. Uh, I went on to graduate school. I felt I, uh, all of a sudden, I got the uh, learning bug, you know. <laughs> my uh, my older brother has a doctorate, and I guess he was my role model, you know. So I went to graduate school, got an MA uh, in anthropology. I, I fell in love with the subject of anthropology. Got an MA but this time I'm living in Sacramento, California. I married my wife, still married, 53 years now. And uh, so I got an MA in anthropology. Then I went on to the University of Toronto to try to get a PhD. I was there four years, 
but I've watched too many hockey games because uh, I love the sport of hockey and I watched too many hockey games. But I was there four years, did the coursework, but I didn't have a thesis topic. So uh, by that time, I had two children. Mm-hmm. So I left Toronto, came back to Philadelphia, my hometown, uh, with uh, my wife and two children. And we've lived in Huntington Valley since 1978, which is just outside of uh, Philadelphia. Right. So you but, must be uh, you must be an Eagles fan. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. But uh, uh, not 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 a fan of their general manager. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, so I heard about I was I heard about a book uh, called The Roswell Incident. I don't know how I heard about it. I guess I, somewhere I heard about the Roswell incident. I said, oh, they must mean Roseville because when we lived in Sacramento, my wife is from Sacramento, there was a town just east of Sacramento called Roseville. Mm-hmm. So I figured, oh, they, they must mean Roseville. No, it's Roswell. Never heard of it. So I bought a copy, bought a copy of the book. It blew me away. It blew me away because we're not talking about lights in the sky. Oh, did you see that? You know, oh boy, I saw something uh, that just, you know, you see a light, it's there, you know, it goes away. This was a crash, an alleged crash of a nuts and bolts craft with uh, dead bodies, little, little three and a half foot tall bodies that was covered up. It was reported first, then covered up. And uh, it was covered up for like 30 years mm-hmm. until the base intelligence officer from the Roswell Army Airfield, which was just south of the town of Roswell, New Mexico, broke silence because they kept telling him, oh, we're going to we're going to we're going to come out with it. And they never did come out with the truth. Right. So he knew he was dying of uh, emphysema. And so he broke his silence in 1978. And the fellow who got to him first was Stanton Friedman. Mm-hmm. And uh, he called, Stan was down in Roswell, no, not Roswell, he was down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, doing his UFOs Are Real talk on TV. And the producer of the TV show, you know, he's like, yeah, there's a guy over in the town of Homa, not far from here. You want to talk to him? Because he said he held parts of a, held parts of a flying saucer. So uh, at the Baton Rouge airport, Stan calls up uh, Jesse Marcel, the former intelligence officer, and uh, got a quick story of uh, what just, you know, oh, I, yeah, there was a crash and they covered up, blah, 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 blah. So uh, Stan goes back home and he hooked up with a fellow named uh, William Moore, right. who had just written a book about the Philadelphia experiment. Uh, the, uh, the disappearance of a uh, destroyer in the Philadelphia shipyard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Big seller. So he hooks up with uh, William Moore, and they start investigating the Roswell incident in 1978. Uh, two years later, they published the Roswell incident book, which I told you that mm-hmm. is the book I read. It just blew me away. Ever since then, that that was that, that's what I was interested in was the was the Roswell incident. Wow. So uh, I joined a local MUFON club in uh, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. 
And uh, lo and behold, they make me the, the so-called state section director for Philadelphia and its four surrounding counties. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so uh, I got to investigate local UFO sightings, which quickly bored me because they were all lights in the sky. Uh-huh. You know, lights in the day. I said, this is this is not doing anything for me. So along about uh, 1991, I joined QFOS, the Center for UFO Studies, uh, that had uh, started by J. Allen Hynek, the uh, Project Blue Book uh, mm-hmm. scientific uh, consultant. He was an astronomer at Ohio, you know, Ohio State University. So I joined QFOS, and there were these two fellas, uh, Kevin Randall and Don Schmidt, this is now 1991, and remember now the first book on Roswell was 1980, so there wasn't another book written after the about Roswell after that 1980 book. So Schmidt and Randall were reopening the investigation of Roswell, mm-hmm. right? 19 uh, they they hooked up in 1988, so I would get the the uh, bi-monthly re- uh, International UFO Reporter, which was which was uh, QFOS's uh, bi-monthly uh, newsletter. Right. And I said, hey, here's two guys. They're reopening the Roswell case. So in 1991, I called Kevin Randall. I said, what have you done about the trying to find the archaeologist that allegedly stumbled upon this down UFO with dead bodies? He said, well... We interviewed one or two people, but we basically, we got nowhere. And now, if you read the book, I don't know if you've read that book, but uh, the archaeologists were allegedly from the University of Pennsylvania mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. Right. So I said, look, Kevin, listen, I have a master's in ar- anthropology, uh, which includes archaeology. Uh, let me go down to the University of Pennsylvania and see what I can find out about these uh archaeologists who allegedly were at the the crash site. So uh, I called up, actually, I called up William Moore, who was the co-author of the Roswell Incident. Right. And if you remember, the Roswell Incident was, uh, they didn't they didn't put Stan Friedman, although Will, William Moore and Stan Friedman did the research. Uh-huh. They didn't include Stan Friedman as the author or the co-author. They they, they included Charles Berlitz, hmm. the uh, language guy. But Berlitz, they included him because he had just had a best-selling book called The Bermuda Triangle. He had written a he was a famous guy at that point, having written The Bermuda Triangle. So let's put it: uh, William Moore in Bermuda and uh, William Moore, uh, William Moore <laughs> and Charles Berlitz. Stan Freeman's nowhere to be seen on the cover. But anyway, <laughs> that's why it's written by Moore and Berlitz and not Moore and Friedman. So uh, I uh, called up Kevin Randall. And so I go down to the. So I called William Moore. I said, uh, Mr. Moore, my name's Tom Carey. Uh, I'm, I'm looking to find out who those archaeologists from University of Pennsylvania were. I said, do you know have their do you have their names? And so I heard him go over to a cabinet and open the cabinet. And I heard, and then I heard him close. And he comes back. He gave me two names. Okay. He gave me two names. So I went down to Penn, as we call it, and interviewed both professors. Uh, they both lied to me. <laughs> the, the one, 
and one said, I never heard of William Moore. I never heard of Roswell. But yet, William Moore gave me his, I said, he gave me your name. Well, I don't know why he did that, because I don't know anything about Roswell. Well, the other, the other professor knew all about it. <laughs> he knew all about it. But he, he lied to me in the end when he says, well, you know, you know what it really was? I said, what? He said, it was a V2 rocket carrying a chimpanzee. I said, oh, my goodness, because he knew everything. And then he throws that out at me. So I knew he was lying in the end. And, and later on, someone did confirm that he was at the crash site. He was at the crash site. Hmm. So that's how I got involved in not only my interest in Roswell, but my active involvement in the case. It was with Kevin Randall and Don Schmidt in 1991. Interesting. Yes, and uh, Don Schmidt and I, because uh, Randall, the, the Randall and Schmidt split in 1995, but uh, Don Schmidt and I wanted to continue with the investigation. You know, mm -hmm. a proactive. So we hooked up in 1998 because we were both on the board at QFOS, and so we uh, we hooked up to continue a. And I I use the quotes proactive investigation right. of Roswell. And what that means is I'm just not sitting here, oh boy, I wonder when someone's going to send me a, a lead. It's it's mean you're going out there, you're shaking the tree to find out if to get new leads and wherever it, uh, wherever it heads, wherever wow. it goes. So I mean, first of all, one of the things that confuses me about the case in different books that I've read is um, how many crafts actually came down? Uh, I, I've read everything from one to four. You, you, you are confused. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, there's only one. There's only one. It was just one. Uh, I think Friedman, Friedman uh, stuck to the, it was like a crash or two, but it, it was only one. It was only one. Uh, there are several stories of uh, different crash sites. The original story from the from Friedman and the Moore was that the uh, ship exploded over the Corona debris. They call it the debris field site. Mm -hmm. That even the Air Force admits that something crashed on the debris field site. So that's that site is rock solid. Everybody agrees with it. It's 33 miles southeast of uh, Corona, New Mexico. That's where we believe the ship was struck by lightning on the evening of July the 2nd, 1947, around 11 o'clock at night. It was hit by lightning and exploded, and all this debris, little small pieces, comes down. But the inner cabin of this ship withstood the uh, explosion okay. and continued on for another 30, 35 miles coming to rest just west of Highway 285, about 32 miles north of the town of Roswell. Okay. So that's the second site. There was one site in between that we have also found where just bodies, when the ship exploded, two mm -hmm. bodies were thrown out and came down on a low bluff. So there's three sites all together with this one craft. Okay, that explains a lot. <laughs> it explains why uh, I've heard... Fred, uh, Friedman and, and uh, Moore 
See, when they did their book, they did. They interviewed uh, Mac Frazzle's son, the rancher's son, but he didn't have any bodies for them. Mm -hmm. The only body story that read, I keep saying Reedman, it's Friedman and Moore had was uh, a uh, soil conference conservation engineer by the name of Barney Barnett uh, claimed that he came across a downed UFO at the same time out on the plains of San Augustine, 150 miles west of the debris field site. Mm -hmm. So that that site is is mentioned in the uh, uh, Roswell incident book. Is the okay. Barney Barnett site? We investigated that. That nothing happened there. Nothing happened there. There was just that one alleged witness, Barney Barnett. For the Roswell case, we have over six hundred witnesses. Right. But for this Barney Barnett thing, there are no witnesses. Just this one guy. Mm -hmm. He claims he saw a down saucer. Went over to it, and there was a. Uh, couple bodies dead there and then the military comes up and then you know and also the uh, archaeologist the archaeologist he mentions archaeologists from the university of pennsylvania so i know when i read the book i was confused i said wait a minute wait a minute here what what's what what goes with what you know and uh so that that confuses people it confused me for a while until we eliminated the plains of saint augustine from the story it didn't okay. didn't happen because everything happened just like i told you the three site all in a line the debris field site the site where the ship finally uh, the inner cabin came to rest and a site in the middle actually closer to the debris field where we where two bodies were found mm -hmm. so uh one one disc three sites no planes of St. Augustine. So one of the other things, you mentioned it was hit by lightning. In one book that I read, um, it says that it was intentionally brought down oh, by yeah. some type of military radar. Uh, you know, we get this all the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, it, it, uh, I, uh, it was not brought down by actually to be honest with you we're speculating it could have been an internal explosion right it could have been an internal explosion that mm -hmm. brought it down it the most logical is that it was a lightning strike because during that period of the year july in new mexico it's called their monsoon season that's where they have these huge thunder and lightning storms sometimes without the precipitation just the thunder and lightning and uh, that's what was going on the night of the crash hmm. they were having a huge thunder and lightning storm and we have a couple witnesses who who heard the explosion okay could have been internal we're speculating on the uh the lightning and it's also it's speculation on the radar uh, it just if, if the radar brought it down you would think they would have brought down some more but the, it uh, I, we, we just don't buy that radar story all right somebody got that started and it has a life of its own <laughs> um also i've heard stories about the retrieval of bodies i've heard that one 
was still alive, and he kept it alive for three years. It was, there was one still alive. You're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, we have that from several witnesses who were out there in the field. Mm-hmm. They always say, they always, they always say, make sure, uh, you know, there was one that was still alive. Although I was, although I was out there picking up, there was one still alive. And uh, the best story, there's two stories about the one that was still alive. We always call it the live one. <laughs> a live one and uh there were five all together four dead and one alive the live one and the best story comes from uh he was uh, he was a fireman for the roswell fire department his name was dan dwyer and uh he was you know he's he was a crew he was a crew chief and so he's sitting in the firehouse uh, one day, and uh, this would be, uh, let's see, the crash was on July the 2nd. Uh, this would be like on July the 7th. This would be on July the 7th, five days after the crash. Nobody had been out, you know, nobody had been out there. So uh, this is July 7th. Uh, he's sitting in the firehouse there in Roswell. In comes the city manager. Hey, fellas, we we have a crash uh, north of town. Don't we, don't go out there. Don't go out there. Of course, you know, when they say don't go out there, somebody's <laughs> going to go out there. So Dan Dwyer, in an unofficial capacity, he and one of his crew members, a fellow by the name of Lee Reeves, they, they get in they get in Dan's car, and out they go to the, the crash site. It, it's north of town, about 30 miles. They get there first. Right, they get there first, and oh my God, it's what is this? Because they thought it was like the uh, a small plane that had crashed, you know, which which with the fire department would certainly be called for a if a plane crashed and there was a fire out there that they they'd call the fire department. Right, and uh, every call of the fire department also goes uh, channeled into the sheriff's office and vice versa. So the first two people out there were the Dan Dwyer and the sheriff. But Dan tells a story that he got out there, and we get this story from his daughter, Frankie Dwyer Rowe. She just died about three years ago. But we get the story from his daughter, Frankie, and uh, they got this story from, you know, Dan when he got home that night. Oh, well, what what have you done today? Anything interesting, dear? Anything happened? Uh, did you have a good day? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Uh, a flying saucer, that's what they called them back then, crashed just north of town. And there were some bodies, little bodies. They called them little people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't call them aliens. They called them little people. There were some little people that were dead, but there was one that was alive. Oh, my God, what did it look like? What did it look like? So he described them three and a half feet tall, but with this oversized head, egg-shaped oversized head, three and a half feet tall. No nose, no ears. It's just two little holes in the front of the face, two little holes in the side of the head. Little slit for mouth. Wow. Was, and, and, and you said there was one still alive? Uh, did you talk to it? 
you know, after they found out what it looked like, did you talk? Yes, we talked to one another, but we didn't talk to one another like we're talking by moving our mouths right. and, you know, listening through it. We talked to each other in our heads. We talked to each other in our heads. Uh, we would call that mental telepathy, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And, well, well, what did you say? Well, what did you talk about? Well, uh, I was concerned about that. You know, my thought was this uh, poor creature. When the creature talked to me in, in my head, he said, don't, don't worry about me. I accept my fate. My ship is uh, destroyed. My comrades are dead. Uh, I'm stranded here. There's nothing anybody can do. So the, the being was more concerned about Dan than Dan was about it. So right. that was the conversation they had. So, uh, well, uh, when they asked Dan what it looked like before he gave the description, the first words out of his mouth were child of the earth. Uh -huh. You know what that is? No. You know what child of the child of the earth There's another name for it is the potato bug or the Jerusalem cricket. Mm -hmm. It's an insect in the Southwest. And they call it the child of the earth because the head of this insect is like a, it's almost like a scorpion, you know. Uh -huh. The head is almost oval shaped. It's pink. And on top of the head are these markings that remind people when a newborn child is just born, it has these markings on the head where the bones haven't fused right. yet. So they call it the child of the earth. Now, being a city slicker from Philadelphia, I never heard of the term. <laughs> and uh, so I had to look it up. And it's, it's pretty scary. <laughs> it's, uh, but that, he said that's what it looked like. Well, the, uh, the second story comes from uh, a former uh, night fighter pilot uh, uh, from World War II. His name was uh, Marion, and they called him Black Mac Magruder. And uh, I don't know why they call him Black Mac, because I guess because he, he was a night fighter and they fought at night. I don't know. But uh, after the war, the Air Force had this school in Montgomery, Alabama, which you probably know. <laughs> uh, uh, what's it? Uh, what's um, I keep forgetting the name of the air base in Montgomery, Alabama. Mm. Uh it always comes know. to me after the show. <laughs> <laughs> People uh, can Max, look it up. Max, Maxwell Air Force Base. Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery, Alabama. That's where the Air War College was. I don't know if it's still there or not, but uh, it's it's the Air War College where the, the best and the greatest of the Air Force personnel that they figure have a big future to lead the Air Force in the coming years, they go to this Air Force school in Maxwell, Alabama. I'm sorry, Montgomery, Alabama, Maxwell Air Force Base. And uh, the lowest grade, the lowest rank in this class is like a lieutenant colonel, which is what uh, Marion Magruder was. Right. Was a lieutenant colonel. It goes all the way up to the general ranks. So it's, it's like lieutenant colonel on up. And so in the uh, fall, let's see, it was a, a, the course was for a year. So it started in, uh, 
1947. No, the, the, it started in September 47 and went to uh, September 48. Well, in the spring of 1948, the whole class was flown to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. You know, because they're they're learning how to administer base, you know, to be the administ big administrator on a base, stuff like that. So they thought they were going there to, to learn administ base administration. So this one day, and we have the class schedule, <laughs> uh, this one day the class is taken into this hangar. You know, what What are we doing here? You know, they're standing around here and they're, so out, out comes someone who they're pushing a gurney with a whole bunch of this strange wreckage on this. It's, it's, it's not a gurney. It's a table that you could roll. Right. And they said, okay, fellas, have a look at this stuff. So they looked at it, and it was the so-called memory metal, you know, the memory metal mm -hmm. that you could roll up, and it would float mm -hmm. out, and you couldn't, you know. So they're they're all and not everybody had heard about the Roswell incident. No, not everybody had heard about that because they covered it up real fast. And uh, so the guys are saying, well, "What? What is this stuff? What is this stuff? Where did you get this stuff?" Because they're all they're doing this, you know, and mm -hmm. it's just, "Where did you get this stuff?" And the guy was, he said, "We got it from the crash of a flying saucer last year in New Mexico." Well, guess guess that's Roswell. Right. So, oh, my goodness. What is what they, they wanted to see their reaction to this stuff? Because mm -hmm. the Air Force at this time, at this time, they're they're still not sure what they're going to do. Do we tell the people what are we what 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 you know, what are we going to do? So then they take them into a room. Right. They leave they leave the hangar and they go into a concrete room. And there are, and in the room is a you know what a two way mirror is right you yeah. have a mirror a mirror or so it's like a it's on one side it's a mirror but on the other side it's something that you can see through but the, the other the person on the other end can't it's a mirror yeah. they can't see anything so so they go in and they're looking through this mirror and there's the live one there's the live one wow and. Uh, the uh, Magruder said, Mac Magruder said he did, he immediately had a mental connection to it. Not talking, but he said he he felt it's humanness rather than it's alienness. Uh -huh. So they said, well, what what was it? So they said, what's it doing? Well, he said, well, it it wasn't doing it wasn't doing push ups. It wasn't doing handstands, and it wasn't doing the Charleston. Uh, but it was just standing there. And uh, he said, he said, I just was overwhelmed by the mental feeling of sympathy for it. And uh, so they said, well, whatever happened to it, Dad? Now, th th he's telling his family this in 1969. Right. Because, because of the moon landing. The moon landing in 69 sort of opened up a lot of people to tell their stories. When, when we got to the moon, for some mm -hmm. reason... It had a cathartic effect on a lot of witnesses that said, oh, my God, that it, they felt something that they started talking. Well, Magruder started telling his sons, he had five of them, uh, about Roswell uh, when they landed on the moon. And uh, they said, well, what happened to it? What a They killed it. Wait, 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 wait a minute. What, what do you mean? You mean they, 
it was the St. Valentine's Day massacre. They they stood it up and there's no, 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 no. They, they were doing some experiment on it. And this is like a few years, you know, they had it for a couple of years. He didn't know when it died, but he just found it. He found out that they had killed it. Uh -huh. What had happened, it died in one of the uh, experiments they were doing with it. So we don't know what year that was. Some people say it was 1952, mm -hmm. uh, which, but that's speculation. But that's what happened. Wow. That's interesting. You know, that, that <laughs> the, 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 one of the other stories that I've heard about the live one is that he didn't just communicate through telepathy, but apparently I have heard that he was able to communicate. I heard that he, one that I heard that he didn't have vocal cords, right. so, he, so he couldn't speak vocally. And that, but, but they did were able to communicate with to it with sign language. That they had sign language experts coming there and, and communicate wow. with it. Never heard that one. No, wow. I, I, that's, uh, I never, I never heard that. I, I know that the, you know, from the from the biopsy, the uh, biopsy from the autopsies they done the mouth. It didn't have any lips or a tongue, and the mouth, the mouth cavity didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not like it had an esophagus and went down to a stomach. It, it didn't. The mouth was just a rudimentary feature. It, it didn't go anywhere. So, uh, because one of the stories, somebody started the story that it likes strawberry ice cream. Really? Well, I don't know how, if it, if it <clears throat> can't eat it, how can it like it, you know? <laughs> so, 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 so how did it, that's another thing I also heard is, I've heard two separate things. I heard one, that it, it did eat it, or, or, or drank water. And then I heard another one that it was that that its biology was more plant-like and used some type of photosynthesis to stay alive. These are things uh, based on our investigation. We've never never heard those things. Uh, we've only had a uh, you know a uh, uh, report on its uh, anatomy. Uh, nothing about. Uh, in fact, we even heard that it it didn't eat, and so then how could it sustain itself? Mm -hmm. And uh, we never did find that out. And but uh, as far as uh, photosynthesis, that that almost <laughs> that almost sounds like uh, my favorite science fiction movie, The Thing from Another World, mm -hmm. 1951, where it was a giant carrot <laughs> and. Uh, uh, Dr. Carrington, uh, uh, you know, the thing was was a was a plant. The, mm -hmm. the, the monster thing from another world was a plant, and uh, but it lived on blood. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, no, uh, I never heard that that it was uh, like a like a living plant. That, you know, or uh, what was the other one? Um. Oh, like like that it could like absorb that it absorbed like moisture through the air, and, and you know. Could well, I would, that. you know, I I've never heard that, but I wouldn't I wouldn't discount it. I mean, it, 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 you need moisture somehow, and uh, you can uh, your skin absorbs a lot. So, uh, I I wouldn't uh, I would you know unless I hear more I wouldn't like categorically just say 
No, but it, right. it sounds plausible. But we've never we've never heard that. They must know something though. If they kept it alive for that long, they must have known yeah. some of its it, needs. It must, yes. Uh, to keep it alive that long, it, it they must have known something, right? Yes. And uh, but what that something is, we don't we don't know. And we've only heard the uh, we've only heard the end of life story for it and the beginning of its capture. And but in between, it's just the it's just a blank. So what happened to the craft? Did it go to Area 51 or did it go to Wright-Patterson? That's a, that's a good question. Um, all of the stuff originally went to Wright Field, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. They had a hangar there. It's Hangar 23, but it's in the building. <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> It's in what they call the Building 18 complex. Uh, building the complex is like uh, nine buildings, nine buildings. And there's one hangar in that complex, hangar 23. But there's your, what they call, there's your hangar 18 because it's in the hangar, the Building 18 complex. It's the only hangar there. So uh, in World War II, this uh, Hangar 23 is where they did all the back engineering mm -hmm. of the Axis aircraft, the German Messerschmitts and Folk Wolfs and the Japanese Zeros. And during the Cold War, that's where they put, you know, did the MiG-15s and uh, stuff like that. So they were already doing back engineering in Hangar 23. And this was in the foreign technology division at Wright Patterson, right? right. So where mm -hmm. that was, it just that's they didn't even have to think twice where to send the stuff. That's where it went. Wow. So at some point, mm -hmm. and we get this from somebody inside. All of that stuff went to Area Fifty One. Okay. In the early nineteen eighties, mm -hmm. because uh, Dayton, Ohio, had built built up you know, right around the, the base. And uh, the lo lots of rumors were going on. <laughs> and so they said, we got to get this stuff out of here. And uh, plus the uh, experimental work on aircraft, you know, you, if you had a crash there in Dayton, Ohio, you're going to kill somebody. So they, uh, you know, Area 51 was remote. So they moved all that stuff to Area 51 in the early 1980s. Do you think that's the only craft they have? You know, that's a good question. Um, I've heard stories of other other crashes, uh, Gary, but I don't. I don't know the. Uh, I don't. It sounds. It sounds like they they should have others, but I haven't investigated any of them. Mm -hmm. There's two others. There's two other. I'll call them landings that I am very interested in, only they're too far away for me to, to do anything. One, one was in 1966 in Westall, Australia, where there was a landing at an elementary school. A lot of kids and uh, teachers, they went and landed outside the school. Mm -hmm. They all went out and looked at it. And they, yeah, this is, you know, and and they all told the story, yes, and they even, you know, and you have you got 
over a hundred witnesses to this landing right at an elementary school, but it's so far away from uh, us. Uh, uh, you know, I, uh, but I try to follow that story. The other one took place in Zimbabwe, Africa. I'm familiar with 19, that one. 1994, the same thing. And uh, it happened uh, near, near a school mm -hmm. and the young children and they, there was a being that got out. And they all drew the being, and uh, they all drew the same thing. And then they re-interviewed these uh, kids recently, and they were all told the story. So I, those two cases is Zimbabwe, 1994, and West Hall, 19, uh, 1966. Mm -hmm. Although they're not crashes, they were landings. Each one had many, many witnesses, including school children who, you know, they they told what they saw. They're they're not old enough, you know, mm -hmm. to make up these stories. And uh, so those are two two real good cases. And, what's, uh, what's that one? The windmill case that Jim Morris oh, yes. wrote about, where he yeah. supposedly that's, that, it that's, crashed, that, it hit the yes. windmill, and they buried yeah. it in a cemetery. Yes, that that one. Uh, 1895, 1898 uh, in uh, Aurora, Texas. Mm -hmm. And it's a story. A guy, it was carried in the newspaper. Now, this is before we have, I'm trying to think, I guess we had flying balloons or something at that time, you know, airships, air you know, very slow. But this was a crash of a UFO into a windmill on a ranch in Aurora, Texas. And there were apparently there was a little occupant that was killed mm -hmm. and they buried it. And uh, that so that's like uh, over 100 years ago, uh, 130 years, 820 years ago, something like Well, finally, when they get around to uh, investigate this, uh, somebody uh, somebody says, oh, you can't dig. You, we won't let you dig up that the grave. It's against our religion. You can't dig up that grave. <laughs> and uh, the, the other thing was that they, uh, there was a lot of debris apparently thrown down a well. Yep. That, that they cemented over the well. So it's one of those frustrating cases that it looks like something happened, but you can't dig up the grave. And apparently they did a ground radar and there's nothing there now. So, oh, somebody removed the body. You know, it's <laughs> it's just one of those things you're, you're never going to get an answer to. Yeah. But it's a very interesting case. Yeah, that's a good, interesting case. Another United States, case that happened in the United States that I think there's a lot of credence to is the Battle of L.A. Yes, yes. That, uh, that's uh, 19, February 1942. And, of course, you know, uh, that's right after the Pearl Harbor attack, right? Mm -hmm. December of uh, 1941, uh, which is my next project, by the way. Wow. Uh, this thing, there, there's a light in the sky over Los Angeles. And you've all seen the, the famous picture of mm -hmm. all these searchlights going up with the, the uh, bursts of the anti-aircraft. But... Uh, it looks like something was there, yeah. And they and they're they're using anti aircraft gun, and they never did hit it or bring it down. But the thing was at the time, you know, everybody was expecting a Japanese invasion, yeah. so they were trigger happy. So uh, it looks like it looks like it was a UFO case, 
because they're firing away. Some people got killed, not from not from the ship, but from the anti-aircraft yeah. uh, fire. So they were they were firing away, and it it was a happening. It was called the Battle of Los Angeles. It was in the newspaper. So, and the searchlights seemed to have zeroed in on a craft. Right. It looks like it, in fact, it looks like a flying saucer, to be honest. With you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's you know that could be the first. I don't know, but that's what it looks like. Yeah, to me too. I, I, to me, for me, that's one of the best photographic pieces of yeah. evidence because there was no Photoshop back then. That's for sure. Right. And, no and, and there's no way they could have faked that. Yes. Right. Right. And they had it zeroed in. And you could see the puffs of the any aircraft fire yeah. exploding, but they never did hit, bring it down. No. And it was it was sort of very going very slowly. So uh, if it was a regular some sort of uh, normal craft, they would have been they would have brought it down. So mm -hmm. uh, so the, I, very uh, it's still unsolved as far as I'm concerned. You know, it, look, it does look like a it has a circular shape to it. <laughs> um, back back to Roswell. One of the pieces of evidence that that always comes up is the piece of paper that uh, Ramy is holding in his hand. Oh yes, yes. With the when he's holding, and in the other hand, he's holding the um, the weather balloon. Yes, yes. Do you think there's anything on that document that he was trying to reveal? That I. I can tell you my experience with it. Um, I heard about this document. He's he's, uh, uh, he's holding a piece of paper. He's holding a telex, or as they used to call it back then, a Twix, a Twix, a telex. And uh, there were, uh, this is at his press conference after uh, Jesse Marcel, you know, the, the, the headline had gone out earlier that day the Roswell Army Airfield uh, captures flying saucer in Ro near uh, near Ro in Roswell region. Right. Well, a few hours later, they're holding a press conference in Fort Worth, Texas, with General Ramey, uh, uh, saying that it was a weather balloon. Mm -hmm. It's the weather balloon press conference. So uh, Ramey Ramey. Uh, is outside. He had just come into the his office. Somebody had given him this telex, and you can tell the sequence of uh, pictures by how many folds or folds are in this telex. If it's folded over once, that was taken before there was two folds in it, and uh -huh. you know. So the last picture taken, Ramy's still on his knee. And uh, and you can just picture what has general. We please please uh, we want to take one more photo of you. And so he forgets that he has the the face of the the telex facing the camera, where you, where the writing is facing the camera. And so they take the the picture. The picture is taken from about ten feet away. So nobody thought much of it over the years. And uh, in the early nineteen nineties, all of a sudden. Uh, I guess Friedman got the idea. Uh, he had gone down to the the uh, Bettman archives down at the uh, University of Texas in uh, uh, 
one of the adjuncts of the University of Texas uh, in Arlington, Texas, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, library there. And he, he had them scan the photograph. It was taken by a guy named J. Bond Johnson from the uh, Fort Worth Star-Telegram. And he had the photos that Bond Johnson had taken scanned, and he put them into a disc, a, a CD. So I had heard about that. I, I, I emailed Stan. I said, can you send me the disc? I want to take a look at this. So Stan mailed it to me. And uh, so I put the disc in my computer, and I, and this is the God's honest truth. In the first 10 seconds that I pulled up the so-called Ramey memo, is uh -huh. what it's called, in the first 10 seconds, I read, and the victims of the wreck you forwarded to blank and his thumb at Fort Worth, Texas. I read that in 10 seconds. The, and the victims of the wreck you forward to Fort Worth, Texas in 10 seconds. The other things I could read were um, me, meaning of story, something on something on the disc, and the disc where disc was in the quotes, and uh, whether balloons would make, and something about the cruise, C-R-E-W-S, mm -hmm. Uh, and, and so there was a fellow, an optometrist by the name of David Rudiak, lives in California. He worked years on this memo, and he finally was able to translate most of it. And, uh, uh, it, and he gives the most accurate reading, and it's, it's all about the Roswell crash. So that, to me, is the smoking gun right now of Roswell, is the Bramey memo. Wow. Interesting. It, 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 one of the things that it, like, like it was figured out a long time ago, but yet sometimes now, like, like if I say, if I go turn on my TV now and I watch a show on Roswell, they'll always bring on some, some recent, some guy from some college who says, yeah, I scanned the negatives. I looked at it, and it says something else than what you just said. A lot of your, a lot of your shows that Gary about Roswell on TV are twenty years old. Mm -hmm. They're twenty years old. Uh, Don Schmidt and I have moved the case so far forward since then, and David Rudiak, he's done a great job on the memo. There's, mm. there's no way. I mean, I know what I read in ten yeah. seconds. They're victims of the wreck you forwarded to Fort Worth, Texas, mm -hmm. and weather balloons would make. And we know that they they had weather balloon demonstrations uh, that weekend. That's what it was talking about: hold weather balloon demonstrations to try to make people think, "Oh, this is what this is what it was." So, uh, and we can only see about a third of the memo. The rest yeah. of it is folded under. We can only see about a third of it. So. Uh, uh, to me, it's the smoking gun uh -huh. of Roswell. Yeah, I, I, it probably is. It, it probably is. Where do you think the... Do you think they still have the wreckage? Oh, yes. And and, and, he, and we know where it's at. We, we know where it's at. Um, uh, I have an associate in Florida. Uh, his name is Anthony Borgalia. 
and uh, he he issued a freedom of information request that to the uh, Department of uh, Defense three years ago, asking for specific information about the Roswell wreckage, right? It was right. not he's not asking about any programs about national security or uh, 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 you know threats from the A. He's asking about the Roswell wreckage. Where is it? And he got an answer three years later hmm. from the uh, Defense Information Agency, the DIA. Uh-huh. So he got an answer, and it's assigned. It, and uh, so we know where the wreckage is. Uh, I I don't know if I want to. It's uh it's in all of the wreckage. Gary now is in private companies that that okay. uh, do business <clears throat> with the government, right? You know, uh -huh. like uh, so so Lockheed. so 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 yeah. It's probably like in Skunk Works or yeah, Lockheed Martin, mm -hmm. uh, Grand Boeing. Corporation. Bigelow Aerospace. Uh, uh, I don't want to give it away. Bigelow Aerospace and uh, 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 you know companies like that. So uh, it's all in private hands because if you're in private business, you don't have to respond to FOIA requests. Mm -hmm. But uh, Anthony, uh, he has the goods. I mean, he has got it in writing. Wow. Uh, and he's got it in writing what they've been working on. Wow. This is all. Is this, this is a new book? Out. Is this a new uh, book? Is this in your new book? Um, let's see. That, wait a minute. Let me think here. Now, Anthony has written about it. Uh huh. He's written twice about it. He's gotten all, he's got over a million hits on his website. I'll, I'll tell you where to go for this. If you want to write his website's called UFO Explorations. Oh, UFO see. Explorations. Just click on that and you'll find it. Uh, it's one of his more recent uh, uh, articles that he's uh, published. Huh. All right, there it is. Hmm. Maybe I can get him on my show. Yes. Although he, I don't know, he's sort of down on shows now since he's been on Randall's show. Mm. <laughs> but uh, Anthony has done the work on that, and uh, he has got, uh, he has got the goods, Gary. He's got the goods in writing, where the stuff is at, what they're working on, and uh, there's no getting it. They're, the Department of Defense, he's gotten over a million hits on this. They're trying to spin it like it's oh, it's part of a regular program that we have. But we're working on uh, uh, exotic metals, and oh, give me a break! That that that's that's not what was asked for, and that's not what was was uh, that mm -hmm. was not the answer that was given. So so he's got the goods. Awesome, um, anti gravity propulsion. Do they have it? Yes, yes. Um, the, the big thing, Gary, is, uh, and I, you know, our mandate for Roswell has been to find as many witnesses as we could before they passed away. Well, we found them over over six hundred, which is pretty, you know, pretty wow. good. 
and also if we could find some physical wreckage, which we have not been able to find, but we know it's out there somewhere. And um, I forgot what your question was. Uh, oh, the anti-gravity propulsion oh, yeah. system. Um, so that's been our mandate. We, we, uh, Don Schmidt and I have never talked about where they're from or how they got here. But in thinking about it, I, I think about it at a rudimentary level. How did they get here from there in space? Yeah. You can't do it with, with rockets and, and uh, things, you know, uh, like airplanes that depend on lift, you know. It's got to be some sort of time travel. And uh, that's what I've settled on is that they somehow have warped or bent space to where they're able to do a quick jump mm -hmm. without traveling all of those distances. And lo and behold, this is really something. I got a chill when I read it. Uh, and and one, of, one of the guys, uh, you remember, uh, well, you weren't born when uh, Operation Paperclip uh, happened in 19, uh, 1946. Right, but I've interviewed people actually who have actually been part of it. Part of paperclip. Well, the what? Um, I don't know what. Even they're all they're all dead now. The, the paper, the Germans they brought over uh, from. Oh uh, no, no, I'm sorry, wrong wrong project. Yeah, right. You're talking about like von Braun and. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. They well, they came over in '46. Well, I interviewed the son. Of the second in command, uh, Werner von Braun was the top guy mm -hmm. there. They were brought over to, uh, uh, it was in El Paso, uh, uh, I don't know, Biggs, Biggs area, Fort Bliss, Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas. And uh, so I interviewed the son of Ernst Steinhoff, was okay. the second in command, second in command there. He had two sons, Ernst and Ralph. Ralph wouldn't tell me anything, <laughs> and uh, but uh, uh, Hans uh, he let, he 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 said, "Well, my father he didn't tell me much, but oh by the way, uh, the Roswell crash it, it wasn't extraterrestrial, it was extra dimensional, meaning time travels." Right. So I'm thinking, well, where did you come up with that? Well, his father was heavily involved in the Roswell case and UFOs research. So he got that from his father, that that it wasn't extraterrestrial, mm -hmm. but extra dimensional, right. meaning i.e. time travelers. Well, that's one guy. Then there was another guy. He was a Navy commander. Or he was work, He was in what Von Braun's group. A rocket group. He was a Navy commander, and uh, he's the grandfather. They say he was the grandfather of our satellite technology. Really smart guy. He said the same thing. He was interviewed by uh, uh, Bill Burns, who was a UFO hunter. You know, yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, he lives about twenty minutes from me here, and he was interviewed by Bill Burns in nineteen ninety five. And he said that Roswell was a case of visitors from somewhere else. 
and that somewhere else was not extraterrestrial, but extra temporal. He said it was extra temporal time travelers. So when you have, I mean, these guys aren't Uncle Harry or uh, Joe down the street. These are guys, uh, you know, technical guys that mm-hmm. were, you know, working on this stuff, saying they're time travelers. So I have to give some credence uh, to them, you know, yeah, absolutely. for someone who hasn't someone who hasn't thought about it a lot it's changed my view of it because i have wondered how they got here from there do you think they could be humans from the future could be what humans from the future that's that's what uh that's what george hoover said the navy commander he said they were from our future yes so they were us from... he said he, he said they were us from the future Wow, so that's so far as to say. So that that, that would actually mean we have a future. <laughs> we hope we hope so. <laughs> yeah, like, like I wonder what would happen to them if we messed up and wiped ourselves out. Yes, that's such a but strange they, question. But they, they look they look totally different from us, though. Well, yeah, we you would know, just, the big the big heads and right. But, but if we but if we were to go out and live, spend a lot of time living in space. Generation after generation, we would, and to have a physiological and have, change, uh, and not have to use physical, mm-hmm. physical muscle to have things do it for us. You that, yeah. From from my from my anthropology, and on how evolution is is parsimonious, meaning that you don't you don't keep things you don't use anymore. In my mind, that's what we would look like say, a million years from now. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because we yeah. would have smaller bodies and larger brains. Yeah. And no no muscular to speak of because you're not using your muscles anymore and you don't speak anymore. It's all mental telepathy. You know, so to me, considering who said these things, I have to give it some, some serious thought. Hmm. Do you think that there is a secret space program going on right now? A secret space program? I uh, more than like I, I would have to if I if somebody put a gun to my head, I would have to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think about it, but I I would have to say yes. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you? Okay, we have a website where you can buy all of our books at uh, www.roswellinvestigator.com. That's all one word, www.roswellinvestigator.com. And you can and you can go there, just click on the books uh, that you want to order, and it'll take you right to Amazon. Or you can go to Amazon uh, or Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. Uh, they only carry our most recent books. But uh, the, the the ones that are still in print, we have uh, we have all of our, in fact all of our books are still in print. Our, our original book, uh, Gary, uh, Witness to Roswell, right. thirteen year thirteen years now, fourteen years still in print, still in print. Awesome. So that that's sort of pretty good. Great. Well, I definitely will post a link to the. Uh, website in the notes of this episode so they can purchase the books there and, uh, and plus we have we have uh pictures and uh 
We got the articles that we've done. We got a whole bunch of stuff. It's all Roswell, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've, uh, that's our, that's our website. Yes. Great. This is a fascinating interview. I, I learned a lot, you know, (laughs) it was exciting and um, yeah. And it actually matches some other information that I have heard. Yes. Well, I, I had a good time. Time goes fast. Yeah. And, uh, Sorry for the stuff in the. I couldn't. I I have to check out my computer to find out uh, why I can't uh, hear hear without these uh, earphones, and uh, why you can't hear me without with with the earphones. So something something is askew there. But I'm glad we I'm glad we finally hooked up. I am too. Thank you very much. And just hang on one second, and I'm just going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. And it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.